Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 62nd edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association online discussion about all things woodworking. Today's special guest is Mr. Vic Teslin. But before we get to him, uh, let's talk to the usual panel. I am Diami Plotke of penultimatewoodshop.com. I'm here with Chris, and we both want to say thank you to Gorilla Glue for sponsoring this episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast the Gorilla Glue Company, for the toughest jobs on planet Earth. Now, Chris, what's going on in your shop? Um, let's see. I, I've, I think the last time I said that I was working a little bit on a um, kind of like a desk organizer and, and all that. So, uh, so I'm still working on that a little. Um, it's coming along. Just basically working not a whole lot on it. I think I spent a couple hours on it this weekend. So uh, it's coming along. Well, that's awfully exciting. It's very exciting. No, it's kind of cool because I, I do, it's, um, it's locust and I really like working with that locust. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to work with because it's, um, just, you know, really neat grain kind of coarse and, um, I don't know, kind of fun to work with. And I've been playing around with shaping a little bit on it and using, uh, some, some rasp and stuff on it, which I don't drag out near often enough. So, uh, just really been playing on, uh, shaping a little bit with it. Well, I was going to ask what kind of style you're going for. Is it a million little? dividers and stuff but if you're shaping it i'm assuming it's thicker pieces that you can then shape uh it's basically one thick piece of locust that that i'm kind of routing into for the the pockets and stuff that i'm doing and then just kind of shaping the overall piece of it so more more just kind of shaping the overall of it okay cool cool you got to share some pictures of it yeah i'll I'll take some pictures i'll try to take some before i Post the thing online, but we'll see. i remember as you're rasping it there's always a camera in your pocket just take it out so what do you got working on? <laughs> um, I've been finishing all week. Uh, this this coming, we'll get to this in a minute, but this coming weekend is the Long Island Woodworker Show, and I'm displaying four pieces in it, two of which aren't finished yet. So uh, I've spent this whole week applying finish to various projects. So the funeral chairs are essentially done. Um, they've got four coats of armor seal on them. I was hoping to get a fifth coat on last night, but I was having an allergy attack like nobody's business and I couldn't wear my mask. Um, so I figured rather than sneeze into the face mask all night, I would just call four coats enough. So they're done with the finish. All I have to do is attach little bits of leather to the bottom of the feet. I want to put these little pads on the feet and then, and then buff them out and the chairs are done. And, uh, same is true of the table The the table, this is the table I built. This was the first Wood Whisperer Guild project, the Shaker End Table that I built with the Guild in 2010. And it's been sitting in my attic with no finish on it since I made it. Well, I meant to ask you about that so, because I remember when yeah. I came up to your house a couple of years ago, uh, seeing that thing yep. in your attic. Same table. And, and so I saw you post a picture. I'm like, hey, you're putting a finish on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured since I was putting the finish on the chairs, what's, what's one more thing to finish? The table, I could put a coat of finish on the table in like 10 minutes, whereas the chairs take about 20 minutes each because I'm wiping it all on with a rag and the right. ins and outs and nooks and crannies of the chairs are a pain in the ass to, to sure. finish. Um, but the, the table's all done. So all I have to do with the table is assemble it. I, I took the top off and the drawer out to finish them. And I just need to put the, put them back on. And the table will be done. So 
tomorrow um, I've got a meeting, but by the time I get home, it'll be like 9.30, and then I've just got to finish these up, and Friday morning, I take them out to the fairground and set them up at the show. See, isn't it kind of exciting? You've, you've got these ta- this table you've, you've had all this time, and so now you're putting the finish on it. You're going, oh, wow, I didn't realize the grain looked like that. And it's <laughs> <sitting> <laughs> in the attic. For- <laughs> it does bring it out. I almost I, I, Schmuck that I am, schmuck's probably the wrong term, bad husband that I am, <laughs> I gave the finished table to my wife as a Mother's Day present when I finished it in 2010. Um, so shame on me for taking four years to actually put a finish on it. But since it seems like it's new to me because it's been in the attic for four years, I've virtually forgotten about it. So I keep wanting to give it to somebody as a gift now, and I have to remember that it's my wife's. Well, maybe you can give it to your wife as a Christmas present. I'm thinking that if I give it to her for two different events, <laughs> I'm probably going to look like more of a schmuck than I actually am. Oh, uh, she's but, forgot about that table by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she has. <laughs> but uh, that's about all that's going on in my shop is finishing, finishing, and finishing. Nice. Um, Tom right now is not in his shop. He's on a college campus somewhere being a sad monkey because allegedly he has no Wi-Fi. Yeah, supposedly, but I'm not so sure about that whole deal. I, I think maybe he's, uh, he, he's, he's out at dinner with his, uh, he might be at a dinner trading shirts with somebody. I, I think he's trading shirts at dinner somewhere. Let's just hope that it's not a, an extra small. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Anyway, so that wraps up the shops. There's really not all that much going on. So you want to get into the blog posts? Yeah. Um, all right. So the the one that everybody's kind of been talking about a little bit lately is uh, 360 Woodworking. And um, they, it looks like, have kind of kicked things off and uh, everything's up and live. And there's still kind of some, some hints on there about what's to come. But it looks like maybe they're going to have a podcast and, and some uh, some different things coming up. So uh Definitely go on and take a look at that. It's uh, 360woodworking.com. And uh, if the podcast gets up and running, make sure you subscribe to that also and uh, listen to what these guys got to say. Absolutely. They've got uh, their, you can now sign up for their, uh, the, the members only stuff. And they're giving publishing dates for their, I don't know if they're calling it a magazine, but they're, I think they want to do like magazine style content in that they're going to make issues. It's going to be all digital from what I understand, but they're going to have, um, you know, combine stuff into an issue type format. So if you go to the site now, it's completely live and you can see all the different parts of it and find out more about, about the guys themselves and about what they're doing. So it's over at 360woodworking.com. So definitely check that out. Check it out. Um, and then in the goings on, uh, what we have locally this coming weekend, locally to me, at least on Long Island. I was going to say, is, that's not local to me, Diami. Oh, come on. If you flew up here for Fine Woodworking Live, you could fly up here for the Long Island Woodworkers Club 18th yeah. Annual Woodworking Show. True. Which is November 8th and 9th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Old Bethpage Fairgrounds in uh, in Old Bethpage, New York. And if you haven't been, it's a it's a really neat little show, as I'm sure most of the local shows are. Um, I find the fairgrounds to be particularly nice because it's essentially a county park version of like Colonial Williamsburg um, on a much smaller scale. But it's it's that era houses, and over the weekend they'll have probably six to eight houses open with docents in to talk about you know life there. And there'll be last year there was people making candles and cooking and doing whatever that you did in a house two hundred years ago. Um, so that that's kind of nice. And then the woodworker show is just fantastic because you get all the local guys showing the stuff they've made and a couple different samples and stuff. But um, it's a good time to just get together and hang out with other woodworkers and see some of the stuff people are making. Some of the pieces I've seen there are amazing. 
Uh, right. So if you're on the island, that's definitely something you should check out. And they're over at liwoodworkers.org. You can see more about the Long Island Woodworkers Club. Cool. Sounds fun. It should be. Should be. It's going to be a nice weekend. So is your 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 pop's going to be there? Uh, I'm sure he will. He I was talking to him. He was complaining that he couldn't go upstate this weekend because it was the Woodworkers Club show. So I don't know what his time frame is. I, I haven't bothered to coordinate with him. But I actually will have uh, our Tiger Den will be at the Bethpage Fairgrounds at 1030 on Saturday morning because as one of the den leaders, I get to arrange things like that. So we're going to do a tour of the fairgrounds um, as our historic go see it, which is one of the tiger requirements. And then funny, I'll be there and now spend the rest of the day at the woodworking show. And then I'll probably be there for most of the day on Sunday also. Perfect. So yeah, if anybody's out there, please come see me. Um, I have the intention of bringing some audio equipment and recording five questions with a bunch of people if I can grab them. So uh, definitely grab me. If you see me over at the fair, I'll probably have an MWA or a penultimate woodshop shirt on when I'm when I'm buzzing around there being obnoxious. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'll be the guy hawking the blue chair. <laughs> but now, Chris, I think uh, that's enough going on in our in our ends of the woods. Why don't you introduce our main our main um, main topic? Yeah, um, our we guest. Are, we've got uh, Vic Teslin um, with the minimalist woodworker um, with us, and so Vic, how you doing? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Great, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're we're glad you joined us here tonight. So, um, so what do you, well, first of all tell tell us what you've got going on now? Well, um, in the shop right now, I'm mainly working on stuff for the book. So uh, there's a number of projects, and I'm doing uh, foolishly or not, I haven't decided yet. My own photography. Ah. <laughs> So is that hard? You know what? I thought it was going to be, uh, but I picked up a new camera and uh, ca- cameras these days. Um, this digital SLR transmits its own Wi-Fi, uh, which then hooks up to my tablet and allows me to see what the camera is seeing from my tablet. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So, I mean, I can... Uh, I can compose my own shots and be in them all at the same time, and it's pretty cool. Nice. No, that's really cool. That's really cool. I just I picked I just ordered one of the new HTC cameras that that does that so that I could be in in the shot. But um, my my issue I have I don't have fancy photo equipment. But the reason I've never invested in it is because I find that my ability to frame a photo is is atrocious. Um, so <laughs> whether I can see the viewfinder or not, I just, I, I'm not that good at, at composing a, an image, um, to find that you're able to, you're happy with, with the angles and the shots and stuff as you're going through. Well, I did, I did photography quite a bit as a hobby. And then, oh, okay. uh, when I was doing the editing job for Canadian woodworking, I did quite a bit of photography for them as well. So, um, so I've gotten kind of used to it, although it's much different being on the other side of the camera because things are a little bit uh, reversed on you. And so you kind of have to, I spend time moving stuff the wrong way all the time and, and doing all that kind of fun stuff. So, but, but I, I find the framing part isn't too bad. I, it's the light that I'm struggling with right now, but anyway, that's, uh, I'm clearly <laughs> more a woodworker than a, than a photographer. Yeah. You just you mentioned Canadian Woodworker, and I know your your history. But uh, for for people who aren't familiar um, with you, Vic, could you give a know of 
how you got to the point where you're, well, why don't you introduce what you do as a day job and then kind of can you bring us up through how you got to that point and what your experience is in woodworking? Yeah, sure. So um, right now, I, my day job is uh, I work for Lee Valley and Veritas Tools, and uh, I'm the uh, the woodworking technical advisor. So basically, I I hang my hat uh, in the R and D department, and um, I help you know with uh, with woodworking aspects of tool design and. Uh, if there are any questions throughout the company, regardless of the department, they can call me up and uh, and ask for my opinion and all that fun stuff. So, so it's um, it's a horrible job. I hate going to work every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, couldn't you couldn't you like imagine a worse job for a woodworker? Like terrible, horrible, <laughs> absolutely horrible. Um, there's a lot of people hating me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're on Skype with a couple. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, before that, um, well, way, way back, which seems like a long time ago, I was in the Canadian Forces, um, and after a uh, after a pretty good injury, I was released from the military and had to figure out now what I was going to be when I grew up. So I uh, kept coming back to woodworker, which was odd. Because most woodworkers I know aren't very grown up, so um, <laughs> uh, present company included. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I went to Rosewood Studio, uh, which is a private woodworking school up here in Canada. Fantastic school. Uh, it's owned by Ron Barter now, and uh, I've uh, I have to say I, I you know he's he taught me a, a majority of what I know today, and it's uh, he, he's a good guy to he's a good guy to learn from. So. But uh, so went went there for a while. Uh, uh, attempted to make a living at uh, furniture making, <laughs> okay, which is always entertaining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like you know I I sculpt with eggs or something. You know, like it's it's about as equally as difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that for a bit, um, and at the same time I was the resident craftsman and. Uh, and taught a little bit at Rosewood. Um, okay. And then just, just started writing articles for Canadian Woodworking Magazine, and then the editor position came up, and, uh, and so I took it, so I jumped at it, and uh, I did that for about 14 months or so, and then, you know, needed a change of pace, and uh, I contacted Lee Valley, and, you know, was thinking that I was just going to get a job at the retail store here in Ottawa or something, which would have been, oh, just, wow. you know, which would have been kind of fun, uh, but, and I uh, ended up getting an email from Robin, and uh, the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's a great, great gig. I mean, that's a definitely a great gig for you because it, uh, you know, gets you a chance to 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 get out there and and you know see see what's up and coming and and have some input into that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a cool position, and I you know I've always been really fond of hand tools, um, so it's kind of a perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now you've. I don't know which way to go first, but your your new book, The Minimalist Woodworker, that you're working on is uh-huh. as minimalist. I'm assuming that means mostly or exclusively hand tool. It's all table saw. It's yeah. everything yeah. with a table saw. Minimalist. It's actually it's it's sliding com- a combination table saws, right? That's, That's the minimalist right. way to do it. Well, the minimalist aspect of it is that I'm only wearing an apron. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, um, can you so reconsider you adding pictures? <laughs> oh. Does the book have to have pictures in it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's better than the artist rendering, so believe me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but seriously, the, the, the whole idea behind this book is that I think that there's a lot of people out there that, uh, would like to get into woodworking, but because of where they live or, um, you know, situations where if you're living in a condominium or, uh, or a townhouse or something like that, it can be kind of difficult to set up what has become now the traditional shop, which includes a, you know, like you said, a table saw and a, and a thickness planer and a jointer and all that other stuff, um, right. as well. Um, you know, so for a number of reasons, right? Like it's, uh, it's all about noise control. It's all about dust control. Um, if you have a, uh, if you have a two bedroom condominium and you have this one spare room and you, you know, want to set it up for woodworking, well, you're certainly not going to be running a router or a sander. No. Um, so, so it basically just addresses that situation that people find themselves in. And I think there are a lot of people that would like to get into woodworking, but because the tendency now is to live in, you know, smaller places, apartments, condos, or what have you, you just don't have the space. So, you know, as far as that's concerned, I, you know, I consider my 170 square foot shop to be, you know, rather large and luxurious. It is. <clears throat> because I've had shops that, you know, I had what I called the Harry Potter shop, which was under a set of stairs. <laughs> um, and I had to sit at one end because I couldn't stand <laughs> and then had to stand at the other end. So it, uh, you know, we've all kind of worked in these little spaces, but it's, it's not always ideal, but I'm, uh, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, with a workbench and, you know, a, a, a little bit of hand tool skills, you can do quite a bit of good stuff. So, you know, absolutely. And, yeah. And, I, and I've said on the podcast, you know, quite a few different times that, you know, I, I grew up with, with a big shop and, you know, using pretty much all power tools. And, and it wasn't really until, you know, I lived away and was, was living in, you know, an apartment and then, you know, in a, in a, in a house with not a whole lot of room and stuff that, that I really started using some, some, um, some hand tools. And it was simply because, you know, I wanted to keep doing some woodworking stuff, not just when I went back up to, you know, my dad's shop up North Carolina or up, up, up to there, but I wanted to do some stuff at home. So I started using hand tools just to, because of those constraints. And, uh, you know, like you said, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people out there like that. Well, and I think the, uh, you know, I think the, you know, I, I'm not dogging on, on power tools or anything like that. I've worked in plenty of shops that were, uh, you know, the majority were power tools and, you know, thousand square foot shop or what have you. But, um, you know, everybody always dreams about having a bigger shop. I mean, even if you've got 2000 square feet, you want a bigger shop. Yeah. Um, nothing against Mark, but when he had a three car garage, it was bitching about how small it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The grass is always greener. Yeah. It, it always is. And I mean, uh, you know, I have 170 square feet. I'm sitting in it right now. And I mean, I'm looking around and it, you know, it doesn't look very big, but I think about some of the stuff that I've done in here. Right. Uh, yeah. No, my shop's about the same size. I know what you mean in terms of working in that, what is essentially a small space, but compared to what you could have, you know, you make do with what you have. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, so the book's geared towards that sort of aspect of, of the woodworking world. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, I'm going to, I think we're going to put in a couple of like shop layouts and stuff like that in the book. Oh, that's and, a good, and the, that, go ahead. I was going to say that's a great idea. 
Yeah, the the one car garage is going to be the largest one. Okay. Nice. Uh, you know, and then you know we're going to talk about you know do you really need an eight foot long workbench? Do you really need uh, you know some of some of the you know space hogs that take up a lot of room? Um, and 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 then if you're if you're stuck in an indoor situation where you're you know you're kind of sharing the same air as the other people in the house, um, you know you can't be belching out you know dust and sanding and, and all that kind of stuff. So. So yeah, so basically what it does is it, it starts off um with some basic skills and then you know we uh we make a little bit of shop furniture to start with. So that way if it doesn't turn out very well, you know, it's not it's not the end of the world, you know. Right. It's got to be a great skill builder for for learning that stuff and practicing and and getting coming to grips with using the hand tools. Yeah, I mean, you know, to <clears throat> to start everything off, um I've got a modified uh, uh one of those workmate benches that I put two by material on the top to uh to thicken it up and give it a little bit of mass and uh and I haven't been using I have a workbench in here but I don't know that it's fair <laughs> to say <laughs> yeah here build all this stuff but off camera I'm going to do it on my own workbench so <laughs> uh, so I've been doing it on this little workmate and uh, I've been planing and sawing and um oh, cutting wow. joinery and marking joinery and it's it's been it's worked surprisingly well so Nice do you have to anchor yeah, so that I'm, to the ground, or does yeah, does you, adding the kind of do. Oh, that doesn't do enough. No. Yeah. Um, what I end up doing is I just put one foot on it. Okay. And, and then just and and plane away. Uh, sometimes I push it up against the wall if I'm removing a lot of heavy stock or whatever. But but uh, but it works. It works just fine. And I mean, you know, even if that's all you had, I think you could. Uh, I think I proved to myself you can cut almost any kind of joinery on this thing so wow yeah and and vic's vic's a very small guy so you know he, yeah. if he can hold this this bench down you know anyone can yeah, yeah that's right yeah it's, uh, <laughs> it's something it beats me up sometimes now, vic before you started on the book project you you were still going down this road towards getting a lot of the bigger equipment out of your workshop is that right or do i have that wrong no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I just started to kind of look around at the tools and the table saw was the first one to go because it was the one that was getting used least in my shop. So, um, and let me quantify that a little bit <clears throat> or qualify it. Um, when I went to Rosewood, we were taught not to rip hardwood on a table saw. We were taught to use a bandsaw. Right. Okay. A uh, little safer operation and uh smaller curve and you know, all that kind of I, stuff. I've heard so. Michael Fortune go on about ripping on the bandsaw many times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a big believer in it, and uh, and we used to do that all the time at Rosewood. Uh, in fact, the most the table saw only got used for plywood, uh, like if you were going to use for a veneer substrate, okay. uh, or you would use it for cross-cutting. So once I started to get good with a backsaw, uh, and I mean, how do you not cut straight with a, with a nice uh, bad-axe copperhead? But, That's right. Um, I don't know. I heard those Veritas saws are pretty nice. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, they certainly are. They certainly do the trick. Um, uh, they, they, you know, that's that's the key is getting a saw that's nice and sharp and nice and uh, set nicely, um, you know, and it'll cut straight all day. But um, but once I got good at cross cutting by hand, I found that I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because I'm inherently lazy. Um, but I wouldn't walk over to the table saw and set it up and use it. I would just cut it at the bench. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about, you know, like how am I, 
am I am I needing that table saw for the repeatability? You know, am I building stuff so so much stuff that requires repeatable cuts that I absolutely need that saw? And then I started looking at it more as a um, as a production tool as opposed to uh, you know making furniture one off. So. And I mean, the reality is in 170 square feet, you end up with uh, a huge footprint taken up by a table saw with in-feed and out-feed and all that other stuff. So right. it just seemed to be in the way and I wasn't using it. And, you know, a cousin of mine was, uh, I just bought a house and needed to do a bunch of plywood work. And so I, I sold him my saw and got it out of here and it was pretty fantastic. Nice. Yeah. So, and then the next one to go was the jointer. Um and again, I just found it was much easier at the bench to just grab a longer plane and make my shot and and then just carry on and not have to worry about it. Hmm. I'm just mulling through that. Like I, I have the utmost respect for that, but while you've just described two of the three biggest space hogs in my shop, uh-huh. the way the way I work, I can't imagine not using them like I I don't know that I've flattened a board by hand since I got a joiner. I, I would, yeah. my joiner, my joiner is easier to access and reach and use than my benches, the way my shop is set up right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's uh, fine. I mean, that's, uh, and that, and, and I mean, it totally depends on how you work and, and right. your comfort level with hand planes and all that other stuff. Um, but I just, uh, for me, it just wasn't doing it. No. And that's, that's the way Tom is too. Of the three of us, Tom doesn't own a joiner. Um, and I, I mock him for it all the time, but it's, it's an absolutely <laughs> fair way to work. Um, now, do you, do you then use a, you, do you plane by hand also? Do you, are you using a power planer? How, how, once you've, once you've milled it flat with your plane, how are you getting your thicknessing? Yeah. So, um, so part of the reason why I like using hand tools so much is the enjoyment of doing the task. Um, there is no enjoyment in thicknessing a board by hand. <laughs> right you know like i mean and it's it's right up there with resawing boards by hand like i've done it but damn uh, like it's 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 work yeah it's a lot of work and uh, we already covered the fact that i'm lazy so so the two tools that are left in the shop is a uh, is a 14 inch bandsaw with a 12 inch throw uh, 12 inch uh, resaw uh-huh. and a six and a, and a 13 inch uh, thickness planer right so essentially what i'm doing is i'm flattening a board um, I flatten one face with a hand plane. And when I say flatten, I don't mean like pristine, beautiful shavings and like a pristine finish. I'm like literally knocking off the high spots so that it doesn't rock around anymore. Right. right. Uh, so that it's it just so that it's stable enough to then keep doing other mill work on. Right. So then I take that surface and I put it face down on the thickness planer bed and send it through to get a parallel side. And then the last pass, I always flip it over and take all of the scrub marks off. And then you can't tell the difference, really. I mean, the no. board's just as flat and just as, you know, just as good. And the other thing I found frustrating with a small shop and jointers was that, you know, you can, I don't, like, you, is your joiner a six or an eight? I have an eight. I have a six. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, see, have, a, I, I have a beast of a joiner. Yeah. I mean, an eight inch is a, is a, is a, is a nice size joiner, but I always found it, it's like Murphy's Law or something. Every time I went to joint a board, it was always bigger than my joiner. I agree. Uh, you know, I've you got, know. Um, I've used an eight inch joiner a lot. Um, the the joiner I've got in my shop is a six, and um, 
I do find that it's it's not terrific for for uh, size. You know, I I do find a lot of times that, and for myself, if I'm going to if I'm just jointing the edge of a board, I'm usually just going to do it by hand, just because it's just not worth fooling with it, unless I'm doing a whole bunch of, of boards at one time. Uh, but yeah, sure. Then at the yeah, same the time, if I want to face really, it, it's different. No, I was just going to say it then. But if I want to face, you know, joint a board, then you are you're definitely limited um, to to the width on that. Yeah, yeah. So and and then once I get once I get two faces parallel, now I can choose my edge. You know, I've got two flat surfaces that I can turn into my reference surface. Right. Um. So then I can I I can capitalize on picking the right grain direction. Mm-hmm. shoot one edge and then take it over to the um take it over to the uh bandsaw rip mm-hmm. it to dimension or you know sometimes I'll put it on a saw bench and uh pull out one of the old distons and and do it that way depending on what it is and mm-hmm. and then uh, and then you're off to the races so I don't know I don't find that I I lose too much speed really mm-hmm. Yeah I've got to where you know I I I've learned to use you know hand tools over the years and and love using you know, I, I love using my saws, you know, chisels. I, I've always been a huge fan of chisels anyway. So, you know, sure. I, I'm, I've always got my chisels right on hand and, and I love using hand planes. Um, but you know, at the same time, I, I'm one that still uses my, my, uh, table saw a lot. You know, there's some, you know, tools in the shop that I don't use that much, but I still use my table saw quite a bit. So, um, I think well, that's, I mean, that's I... one of the interesting things is, is you, you learn, you know, we we all kind of learn different ways to uh, to use our tools and and kind of what we we each use. Um, there there really is no way, you know, one way that that things have to be done, and and that's what's great about it. You know, just like you were talking about, you were saying, you know, you don't need this big shop. I mean, you can, you know, if you've got a big shop and you've got the tools, then you can you can make some fantastic stuff with that. But at the same time, you can work out of a closet and use just a couple of tools to make to make things. Mm. No, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, um, you know, you, you can get into all kinds of arguments about whether, you know, a sanded surface is better than a hand plane surface or right. whether or not you should be using a router or whether you, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't have time for all those discussions because <laughs> right. you know, to me, to me, it doesn't make any sense to argue about that. It's like if you're, if you're enjoying what you're doing in the shop with the time right. that you have in the shop, and you're happy with what's happening. I mean, even if you don't build anything, I mean, there are people out there that are just building their shops. Oh, you know, exactly. And some, and some yeah. people talk disparagingly about those people. And I think, you know, hey, listen, if that's the part of the hobby that they're into, all the more power, you know? Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're doing it for a living, then sure, you can't build your shop all the time if you're trying to make a living. But the fact is, is, is most of the people that's, that's listening to this podcast right now are not professional woodworkers. Most of the people that listen right. to this podcast are hobby woodworkers. Most of the people that are, that are going to be buying the book, they're hobby woodworkers. You know, that's the people that, that really, and, and so it doesn't matter if you're enjoying what you're doing, then that's the part that's important. Yeah. No, as, absolutely. as, as much, as opinionated as I am and as strongly as I advocate the way I do things. No, not fa- you, Diami. I, I know. It, it, it's true. <laughs> um, no, no, the, never. It's the, it, the fact of the matter is, it's woodworking for God's sakes. There's no wrong way to do it. Um, I think Vic's crazy, but at the same time, you want to get out there and hand plate everything flat. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, there, there is no wrong way. At the end of the day, we're all enjoying our time in the shop. We're making nice things. What else is there? Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And like I said, you know, there are some people that really enjoy, uh, the machine side of, 
woodworking. Like I could, if I had the money, I could see how someone could totally get down the festival rabbit hole. Right. Shh. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But I mean, but the truth is, is that, you know, the part of it for me is like, I really enjoy the amount of time I spend with each component, you know, and then when the whole thing comes together, it's like, I kind of, you know, I'm connected with all those pieces. I know that sounds a little hippy dippy, but, um, it, it just, it, it just, I've spent all that time, you know, on the simplest routines, um, that it just makes, it gives me a, a, a greater sense of accomplishment. Right. No, I, I can absolutely see that. But let, let me ask you, I'm, I, we talked about earlier, I'm putting this coat to finish on these chairs I, I was making. <clears throat> I'm done with the chairs. Like emotionally, I've been in, in the project long enough and I'm ready for the project to be done. Um, uh-huh. when, when you're spending time hand milling in each individual piece, do you, while on the one hand, you're, you understand and you have a connection with each piece. And I absolutely understand why the whole then has that much more value and that much more sentimentality to it. But on the other side, do you find that you're, you, you run through your excitement for a piece before the piece is actually done? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I experienced that regardless of whether I was using hand tools only or power tools. Yeah, I, only. I don't mean to say it's a hand tool thing. It's, I think it's true yeah. of any project that goes on. Well, I get to the stage where, I dry fit the joinery and then it's time to do all the surface prep and the finishing. That's where I, that's where I mentally check out. <laughs> right. Like I, you know what I mean? I, I, I get to the point where it's like I start looking for the next thing. I know exactly. <clears throat> and then you still, I mean, you know, obviously you're still present to do the rest of it, but, um, you know, I find that, uh, that's, that's the point for me where I start to lose a little bit of interest is once, once the pieces does, like I love designing the piece. Uh, I love getting all the components ready. I love cutting all the joinery. Once that's finished, then I kind of, you know, I start to lose a little bit of interest and I, you know, um, you know, navel gazing starts to become more interesting than, <laughs> than, uh, than, than the project sometimes. And I mean, I think all woodworkers kind of struggle with that a little bit. Um, and I, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't find that the interesting part of it. All right. Maybe I need to hire a finisher. <laughs> mm. The the finishing is something I've always struggled with somewhat, just because you know I I'm always kind of burnt out by the time I get to the finishing, and I, I tend to rush through it way way too fast. Not I don't want to say burn out. I'm just I'm ready for the project to wrap up. So you know I'm I'm into kind of the joinery and all that a little more. So um, yeah, I, I've, well, I'm that's actually probably why that. I use a lot of oil finishes, like oils and oil varnishes, because they're uh-huh. they're pretty simple to put on and yeah. They don't require a lot of thought and I can just get it done and you can get a decent finish out of it, you know, right. and so mm. yep. I would never French polish something. <laughs> no, I would not either. But that said, it, it's beautiful. It is. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I would think to be, to do, to go to that level, I would think you need to be a finisher. You know, if you're approaching it and you're starting with the finish, then you're still fresh and ready to, to spend all that time and energy on the finish. But even something simple, by the time you reach the finish, you put so much other work into it, um, you're ready to move on to something else. Well, it would be like an auto body guy, right? Like, you know, you get a car and you're, you're laying down coats of paint and then buffing it out. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're trying to pull everything, every single thing out of that, out of that job. And I think that's, you know, what a finisher would probably get out of it. Sure. I would agree. And some of the work they do is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, so we're going to take just a real quick second to uh, hear from our sponsor here. So 
just one sec. This podcast is sponsored by the Gorilla Glue Company. With a full line of tough adhesives, tapes, and more, Gorilla can help you fix, build, or repair just about anything. Visit GorillaTough.com to learn more. Gorilla, for the toughest jobs on planet Earth. All right, so we're back, and um, I, I had a, a question for you, Vic, there, as far as um, just just a little more about the book, as far as um, I, I take the books with Springhouse Press, is that correct? It is, yeah. Okay, and then and then when, um, wh- what do you think the timeline? I mean, when do you, you, you got any ideas on timeline right now? Yeah, um, you know, I think, I think we're shooting for fall of 2015. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what we're gearing for. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's, it's not going to be a frantic pace to get there, but it's going to be, it's going to be steady. And, uh, and I really enjoy the writing process. I really enjoy, uh, teaching. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't, I don't know. I don't look at it as work, you know, for me, writing articles and documenting what I'm doing and, and coming up with ways to explain things. I mean, that's kind of what I really enjoy. So for has, me, I think it's not going to be a big right. deal. Has it been hard to come up with the individual, you know, <clears throat> chapters or lessons or the, the the framing of the book? Actually, that that came pretty easy. Actually, um, I basically when I when I put you know all of the chapter ideas together, you know, it, it uh, I I just did a lot of thinking about how how to best kind of teach woodworking and how to, especially when it comes to hand tools only. Um, it's a, there's a much different, uh, approach, uh, when you're working hand tools only, you get away with a lot of things like not having to measure as much stuff. You can do a lot more referentially. And Mm -hmm. so, so it's a little bit different. Um, I guess from a regular woodworking book where, you know, some of the, some of the conventions that are in woodworking for power tools, I mean, you know, they kind of stick around and they don't always transfer well to hand tools. So, Mm. but, um, but yeah, I think um, I think the layout was was pretty easy. I just wanted to give everybody a a kind of good base knowledge of what you know what they needed to do, and you know you can't do a book like that without touching a little bit about sharpening and uh, and all that other stuff. And right. yeah, I thought maybe for the sharpening section, I would just pose a question on a forum or something, and then. Um, just print everything that everybody wrote. <laughs> it, well, I, I, how many books are you writing now? <laughs> well, yeah, volume volumes one through seven will be on sharpening. That's right. Uh, and why the way you do it is wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And then we're going to move on to wear bevels. <laughs> so, so, Perfect. Uh, anyway, that's a little tongue in cheek, I suppose, but it's. <laughs> No, I think it's like I've always right. said, if you can't take a joke, don't be one, right? <laughs> uh, All right. So, well, um, go ahead, Yummy. No, I was just say, with with working on the book, I'm assuming that most of your projects between now and release are book related. Um, yeah. But when you're not working on the book, what kind of stuff are you building in the shop? Well, you know, to be honest with you, um, there I haven't done a uh, too much actual woodworking, um, you know, in the, to be in, in probably in about a year now, um, you know, between work and, uh, I, I teach seminars at the Lee Valley store here in Ottawa. Uh, I travel quite a bit for work and I also teach privately as well. So, um, 
so it you know it's it was pretty busy so actually you know the thought you know of buckling down and writing this book and getting some some woodworking done you know was part of the excitement of doing it um so for me um you know most of the stuff um if you've been on my website before it's more of a contemporary nature um and i'm hoping to do a little bit of exploration i'm starting to you know look uh, for some rabbit holes to jump down um one of them is luthery i'd love to build my own guitar oh. okay and yeah. some some of my coworkers hearing this will uh will come and give me some grief because i've been threatening to build a guitar for a couple of years now <laughs> uh, but but and, and so about once a month i get a so how's that guitar coming um <laughs> which is always exciting um it usually leads to a uh, some pretty interesting conversation, but, but, you know, so stuff like that. And then I'd also like to get into, um, doing some veneer work on a solid substrate the way they used to before plywood. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm kind of intrigued by that because I think, you know, ha- having the ability to do a veneered piece, uh, but that's still solid that you can cut joinery into, um, right. you know, that's kind of intriguing. So, yeah. so I'm going to take a look at that, I think. Um, but, I just, uh, you know, I, I told myself that once the book was done, um, that I would make sure that I always had a project on the go in here and always be working. So, um, you know, I've done a couple of simple things. Uh, got tired of looking at my old plywood, uh, tool cabinets. So I, you know, I've put up a couple of dovetailed, you know, solid wood cabinets so that the tools aren't, you know, languishing in a, <laughs> A good one side plywood box. With the good am, I, uh, am I abusing my tools by storing them in OSB cabinets? Um, I don't know. Your tools it's okay if I it. am. <laughs> They're into the pain. Yeah, yeah, they may like that. Um, <laughs> you know, that's it's it's not us to judge, right? So, all right. So, um, one of the things that that we we typically always do with with when we've got a guest on is we've got five questions that that we uh, kind of go through so um so why don't we why don't we do that now um, sure so the the first question on that is how did you get into woodworking and vic uh, i'm going to pull up your question your answers from last time and make sure you answer differently oh okay cool um, we, i guess we did was where was that at um i guess it, so woodworking show last year yeah that's right i forgot yeah. we had some of those well, you get yeah, to answer the, again. Um, when I first, uh, I had this undesire, like this incredible desire to build a piece of furniture when my daughter was born. And I don't know if it was some sort of a male nesting thing. Um, but for some reason I needed to build her something. And so <clears throat> that's really how I got into it. I made this horrible, um, nightstand that, uh, the drawer a only nightstand. opens and closes in the wintertime. <laughs> well, she doesn't need stuff out of it in the summer. Um, but no, I'm just no. curious why an, a nightstand isn't the piece of furniture I think of when I think of a newborn baby. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, she was probably by the time I figured it out, it was probably she was um, 16. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, um, you know, she had. She had just gotten out of a crib and was into like a, you know, a bit of a toddler bed sort of situation. And okay. did, she didn't have a nightstand. And I thought, huh, well, maybe I'll make a nightstand then. 
Nice. That, that works. Well, it doesn't actually. It's a horrible, well, horrible piece. Does that, regardless <laughs> of whether the drawer opens or not, does she still use it? Well, she won't let me throw it out. Uh, okay. I've tried on many occasions, and it almost brings her to tears when when the thought comes that you know I would get rid of this. And oh. So anyway, so that's kind of touching, but I just I try not to let people see it or anything. But, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's a great. Um, you know, I learned a lot from that piece. It was the first piece I ever did, and uh, you know, the drawer not opening. I mean, you know, uh, the, I didn't have some chart that told me what the what the fluctuation in flat sawn grain was going to be. I learned, you know, the school of hard knocks. Oh, okay, if you use flat sawn material for a drawer side and you make it a piston fit uh, in the winter time, <laughs> it's not going to open in the summer. Well, it's, it, it's like a safe. You know, she puts things away for safekeeping in there, and no one can get to them all year. Well, it, that's it, where she puts her mittens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it it could be worse. I, I've got to uh, I've got to tell a story on a couple of my uh, my my workers. On uh, we we had some cabinets we had to build for a front counter, and I was going to order uh-huh. the cabinets. They said, No, 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 we'll just we'll just build these cabinets, Chris. We can do the cabinets and. Uh, and I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, no, 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 we got it. We got it. We're going to build these cabinets. We're going to build these cabinets. So they, yeah. they build the cabinets and they build the drawers. And of course the drawers, they put a rabbit around the bottom of the drawers and then just na- nailed the, the bottom like up underneath. So there's no support whatsoever in the drawer. And I'm like, guys, you realize awesome. the drawer bottom's going to fall out of this thing as soon as it starts getting a lot of weight. No, no, it's going to be yeah. good. Like, okay. Okay. Whatever. I'm going to. Just it's going to happen, but I'm going to leave you alone. So then they put the drawer fronts on, and two weeks after the things are up, one of the drawer faces fell completely off. So oh, fantastic! So, so I I no longer let my guys build the, the cabinets for uh, for projects. I just either get somebody else to do it, or I would say I would do it myself. But honestly, I'm not going to. So. You're not. Going it's to a do great it teaching yourself. opportunity. <laughs> yeah. You only do rafter tails yourself, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned my lesson on doing the rafter tails. I uh, I much prefer to tell the guys how to do it and leave them alone. Perfect. <laughs> well, since we're running through the questions again, Vic, what is your favorite tool? And this can be right now of all time, power, uh, hand. It could be a blender if you want. What's <laughs> is it? A table saw, right? Table saw. That's yeah, where we're it, going with it this. Is a table saw. But it was getting well, unhealthy, so I had to get rid you of it. Ha- you had one of those combo table saw joiners. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And horizontal mortiser and yeah. uh, everything else, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I right you know, it's funny, like I I uh I hate to single out a hand tool because I kinda like them all, but I think um I, I think I love the plow plane best. Huh. Nice. And I I, I don't know why. I, mm-hmm. I just you know, to me I don't know. To me, being able to cut a groove so quickly and easily—I um, don't know—that that, that part kind of—that's you know—I find that interesting. You know, I I always tell people when I'm talking about the plow plane that I would go up against anybody with a router at any time uh, and to see who could plow a groove faster. And I, I'm more than positive that I would win. Now, if you had to do 50 of them, I'd be hosed. But but so for me, the hand that hand tools probably my favorite one. Yeah, I mean I think that's one of those things, you know, when you talk about using a router, I mean, you know, a router is going to give you a you know, it's it's 
sure it's fast once you get the thing set up, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, getting out, getting set up, you know, that, that's the, the, the time that takes with that. Whereas with hand tools, there's so much less setup time. Um, so well, that's, that's really why I tell it. people, like, if you're going to dovetail it, if you're making a drawer for a, for a side table, go ahead and dovetail it by hand. But if you're doing a kitchen, right. I mean, <laughs> my God, go get a lead jig. Right. You know, like, yeah. you know, so I don't, you know, I don't say that hand tools are fast for everything. I say, you know, once the initial setup is done on a machine, you can crank out those joints all day, every day. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't often do that. So um, if you've got a drawer box and you've got to plow a groove into it to uh, to put your bottom in, I mean, I'm pretty confident that I can groove four pieces of wood faster than somebody can find the router bit they're looking for. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that'd be a great that'd be a great contest idea. <laughs> did you ever see the shootouts that years ago when they first started playing with video on the web, Fine Woodworking did? They had um oh. they had a what did they have? They had a surfacing shootout where okay. Pekovic used uh planes and Asa used sanders. Oh then, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then they had a ten inch shootout where Pekovic used a table saw and I think it was Matt Kenny cut his ten inch by hand and right. Pekovic was hand tool one time and power tool the other time, and he ended up winning both. Oh, I see. <laughs> but uh, no, they were they were interesting, and I, they kind of stopped doing that and went to other formats. But uh, sure, you definitely sure. should bring somebody out. You you should do that. Put it have a have the book linked to a video online and and show how the methods you're teaching are far and away faster than anything else. <laughs> yeah, say how you're yeah. right and everybody yeah, else is wrong. Perfect. That's what you need yeah. to do. What's that? <laughs> yeah, and just say how you're right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, well, I, I, um, it says so in the book. He must it be. It right says so. Wikipedia yeah. says so. Yeah, well, I, that's you know that's the attitude I'm looking to take with the book. It's kind of like you know you're all a bunch of idiots and I'm brilliant. So perfect. Uh, what you ought to do is is um is do the the competition legitimately beat somebody in in plowing those grooves. And then uh-huh. when they're when you're done, you pull out the book and say, "This is why I'm so fast." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, what better marketing is there than that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so so let's let's move on to the next question. We digress. We digress. <laughs> All right. So the next question is: is who has influenced you the most? Oh my God! I remember when they asked this question the first time. How horrible this question is. <laughs> you came back you know what I, I'm going to say I'm going to totally cop out if I can um, <laughs> and I'm going to say that pretty much every woodworker inspires me some way or another um, you know like if I see somebody do something that's different than I do um, right away I start looking at that and learning from it and and uh, and trying to figure out if that would work with the way I would work and, you know, things like that. But I mean, you know, I mean, there's your, you know, there's your big, your, there's the woodworking heroes, right? You know, the, uh, right. you know, the Garrett Hacks and the, and the James Krenovs and, um, you know, Michael Fortune. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't study with Jim Krenov, but I studied with Michael and uh, Garrett and, you know, those guys couldn't be too further apart as far as their method of work. But right. I mean, they both produce beautiful furniture and, mm. you know, I learned, I learned a lot from both of them, um, you know, different things, but 
you know, still, you know, learned a lot. And, uh, I think James Krenov's books kind of gave me, um, uh, a kind of glimpse into the sensitivity that you should have for grain, you know, like when you're, you know, when you're building furniture, you know, you don't just kind of cut the parts out all willy nilly from one board and, you know, slap them all together and, you know, hope for the best, you know, I find myself looking for straight grain and, you know, where I want it and looking for cathedrals and the flat saw and stuff for other things. And, you know, I, and, you know, because I don't have a table saw, um, I don't have to cut straight lines. Um, so I can, I can take (laughs) panels out, you know, sections like in the middle of a board somewhere. And, you know, I can either just rough it out with a bandsaw or use a handsaw and just pull it, you know, pull out what I need and then get rid of the rest. So, right. Do you yeah. find that um, that that opens up your designs a bit more working with the hand tools? Is that that it's just easier, or you're not thinking in terms of a table saw? You end up thinking more in terms of pattern and design and and things like that. Well, you know, I mean, that's a really good question because I, I tell this funny story um, when I was working at Rosewood. Garrett Hack had come to teach a course on the demi loon table that he does. And, um, I was supposed to be his shop tech that week. And so Garrett, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't feel like having a servant walking around doing stuff for him. He kind of likes to do his own thing. So he encouraged mm-hmm. me to just take the week off and build a table. So, <clears throat> so of course it was a demi loon table. So, you know, bent lamination aprons. And so I'm at my bench and I'm, I've got this drawing on my bench. And what I'm doing is I'm designing the jig that I'm going to use to hold the apron in the air so that I can cut a tenon, uh, cut the tenon cheeks on the end. And mm-hmm. so Garrett comes by the bench and he's looking at this drawing and he's like, that's a goofy looking piece of furniture. What is that? And I said, Oh no, no. I said, that's, I was like, you know, all incredulous. Like, no Garrett. That's, that's a <laughs> You know, so I can hold this piece up and blah, blah, blah. And he looks at it. And then he looks at me like I was just a complete mental patient. And he says, <laughs> you've got a saw right there. Why don't you just put it in your vice market and cut it? <laughs> so, mm. you know, that was my first introduction to, uh, you know, let's think about things in a broader sense. And, you know, instead of getting locked into, okay, well, I'm going to cut the joinery with the table saw and then, spend an hour, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to do that, you know, it allowed me to look at a situation and say, okay, well, you know, the ideal, the ideal thing would be to use a handsaw. So I don't know. So I guess to answer your question, Diamond, I think it, it really does open up a lot of opportunity because you're not kind of limiting yourself to, you know, how do I do that? Um, I try not to let those questions um, into the design phase though, like, cause all I, then all Mm -hmm. I would do boxes right right uh, so i don't think about how i'm going to build something um which is a, a a thing i learned from michael fortune he's like forget about what you know how to do he said you know there's enough books out there that'll tell you how to do it he said you know just get your get the design right and so that's kind of how i've always done it i i think that's really important is that if you're if you need to design things and then figure out how to do it and that's how you learn and that's how you grow as a woodworker as there's whatever skill it is you're, you're doing is decide what you want and then figure out how to get there. If you're only going to going to make things or be limited by what you already know, 
you're never going to grow in terms of what you're doing. Well, yeah. I mean, the Cubist movement would have been much larger than it was. Yeah, that's right. There'd be boxes everywhere. Everywhere. All right. So, um, Vic, what was your biggest stumbling block and how could you have avoided it? And if you um, want to say it's the show, then you could totally say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's already got his book contract, so you're, yeah. I'm assuming you're pretty It was safe. coming on the <laughs> Woodworkers podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Um, no, you know, I think uh, stumbling block. I mean, I still stumble. I mean, I still try to do new things and get hung up on things and, and all that other stuff. And I think... Um, yeah, that's a tough question, you know. Like, but I mean, you, you you bring up a good point there. I mean, it's you know that's that's a question we always ask, but you know it, you know it really is. It's it's an important part of all of us learning. You know, we we do have to have you know those stumbling blocks because that's really what we learn from. We learn the most off of our you know what mistakes and stuff we make, and then going back and figuring out how to correct them. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that has really helped me out is finding the references that help you get out of trouble, you know, like like uh, the Encyclopedia of Furniture Making by Ernest Joyce and, you know, books like that where, you right. know, like we're not doing anything new here, guys. Like, you sure. know, we're, That's right. you know, there's 6,000 years of documented woodworking history and then there's there's more than that, you know, that just they didn't have, hadn't figured out how to write it down yet. But, right. I mean, you know, if you can't find it, in a book somewhere, um, you know, that'd be pretty darn surprising to me. You're right. Um, so I think for me, like, I think that I, I would, I would hesitate at the beginning to go to reference material and I would just almost kind of force my t- myself to figure it out. And I think by, you know, kind of saying, okay, you don't need to, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, go, go to these references that you have and, and look at them and, uh, and figure it out. Right. You know, so I think that's the one obstacle that I suffered from was, you know, feeling the desire to, you know, do it all myself and without any help, you know. Sure. Mm. Help is nice. It is. It sure. Well, I mean, you know, now, now, thank God we've got, yeah. you know, forums. Yeah. Um, and that, you know. that brings us to our next question. How is the, how has the internet influenced your work? <clears throat> um, I, I think the internet is fantastic. Um, you know, like, um, for, for example, like I really like the Instagram community, um, for woodworking because, you know, everybody's really, um, respectful on it and people are sharing pictures and showing, you know, stuff that they're working on. And, uh, and I find that that's, um, I find that that's really, that's a really good part of the internet and it influ, it, it influences me a lot because, I see what other people are doing and what they're trying and what their experiences are. And so for me, that's, you know, that's a good thing. Right. Um, you know, um, I like podcasts like this one because it's just woodworking guys sit around having a chat about woodworking stuff. Right. Um, you know, and it's a, it's an exchange of ideas. Um, it's, a you know, it's, uh, you know, we, we, but we all don't work the same way and we've acknowledged mm-hmm. that, but, I mean, it doesn't mean that one one type of woodworking is better or worse than the other. Um, you know, um, even if you don't end up buying my book, you'll still be all right. I mean, it's not it's mm. not a big deal. No, but, you'll fail. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the part the part you know you you 
you can talk about the internet in a good sense, but you know, there's a lot of, there's, it's a double edged sword, I think. And sure. yeah, it is. I always get really disappointed when I see disparaging comments being made on forums or people being talked down to because, you know, maybe they don't know as much or, you know, things like that. So I think that's kind of an ugly side of it that, you know, I wish could kind of just go away because it's not helping anybody. It's not, um, it's, it's not encouraging anybody. Um, you know, I always tell people that if my first exposure to woodworking was on a woodworking forum, I'd never do it. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, like you would just be, you know, my goodness, you, you know, you wouldn't be able to handle the critique, you know? (laughs) So it's funny because in person I find with very few exceptions, woodworkers are wonderfully supportive and helpful people. Um, woodworkers I've met locally across the country, even you, um, (laughs) <laughs> very helpful people and for some reason some of the forums seem to bring out the worst of people yeah and i think that's all the way around the board like i just wrote a yeah. blog entry talking about that and you know i think it's the um it's the anonymous nature of a forum i think you know it's the same reason why people get road rage you know mm. they're like you know they're shaking their fist and swearing their heads off at you in their car but i mean if you accidentally bumped into them in the shopping mall i mean they wouldn't have had the same reaction no you're right you know so it's it's that sort of you know i'm at one end of the internet you're at the other and so now i can be a dick if i want to be right and uh and it's unfortunate because i just you know those people may have a legitimate thing to say but as soon as you come off as a, a single-minded or dogmatic or anything like that, like I'm just, I shut down. I mean, because then you're not having a conversation. Then you're just being talked at. And That's right. I don't think anybody enjoys that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, good for you guys. I mean, this, you know, the podcast is a nice, is a, you know, having it, you know, where you're, it's interactive and you're, you, you know, and I mean, woodworkers are all the same, right? We all joke with each other. We all poke fun at each other. Uh, we all, are willing to share for the most part are willing to share ideas on technique and, and, you know, experiences in hopes that, you know, something that I figured out will help somebody save time or money down the road. So, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, these kinds of things are great. Well, thank you. That's the first time we've ever asked that question and had to come back to us. <laughs> we need to try to push <laughs> it that way a little more often. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, can you talk to our other guests? Payable. <laughs> Can you make the check payable to Vic <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna start prompting all of our guests before the podcast starts yeah. to, to yeah. go that direction. That's right. Yeah. But but in all serious, I mean it's it's um it's true. I mean, you know, it's there there's different ways that it can go and and unfortunately some of the forms, you know, can occasionally go the the negative side. But uh you know, at at, at the same time I, I think for the most part, you know you know, it, it's it's funny because 90%, 99% of the people, you know, are not, you know, they're, they're out there to, to be helpful and all that, but you unfortunately get a few trolls here and there, but, uh, uh, but the great yeah, thing is, I mean, you can, exactly, you know, and, but the great thing is, is there's just, there's just so much information out there, you know, and it's, it's, you know, you can, you can really, you can learn anything. I mean, and, and having different aspects of things, it's just a, it's a great way to, to be able to pick up different, different approaches to do, you know, the this, this same task that you just, you may not even think about. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to the guys today at work. Like I was talking about this n- new to me technique for sharpening where I, I was watching this uh, horrible grainy video on the internet about, of um, 
of a Japanese woodworker sharpening his tools. Mm-hmm. And um, just the technique like he was using, he was using a bucket and, you know, the way he was flattening his stones, it just his method of work with sharpening was so fluid, no, no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I kind of, about six months ago, I kind of switched over my sharpening, not really technique, but just, you know, the way I store my stones and the way I, uh, you know, just work with them. And it just, you know, so here's this guy who was taught by his master, who was taught by his master and then go back 6,000 years. And, right. uh, you know, and so here now is this video that I can watch and then go, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to try that and, you know, have it, you know, work for me so that, you know, yeah, uh, the internet's, you know, quite fantastic for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that, though, that it actually brings back a, another thought I've had. It, I don't know, probably a year ago, I made this decision of, you know, forever I grew up, you know, sharpening by hand with, with no guide. You know, I always uh-huh. just sharpen everything freehand. Uh-huh. And then really I started like, you know, online, I'm looking at all these people and then I get this idea that, oh my gosh, everybody uses a guide. I've got to use a guide. I can't do this freehand. Well, done uh-huh. my whole life freehand. And then, <laughs> yeah. so I started using the guide and then I didn't really like doing it anymore. And then finally one day it just dawned on me. I'm like, well, why don't I just do it the way I've always done it? <laughs> and and uh-huh, I went back and then it's like, okay, yeah, you don't always have to do what you see, <laughs> you know, sometimes. Well, no, you're right. What works. <laughs> but it's good mm. to explore it. it. It was. No, it was, you're exactly right. It's good to explore it because you know, there are things you, you, you know, I'm sure there's things I learned from doing that, but, uh, um, uh, and then, you know, you, you learn what's right for you too. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, all right. Well, I think that pretty much, uh, kind of gets us wrapped up a little bit. So, uh, again, we, uh, we, we, you know, thank you very much for uh, coming on the uh, show here, Vic. And, uh, now Vic, again, what's the name of the book that's going to come out in the fall of 2015? Yeah. So it's called the minimalist woodworker. And, um, and I've got a website, uh, I've kind of poured into my blog over and everything else to, uh, a website that's titled, uh, minimalistwoodworker.com. So is that the best place for people to find you? Do you have a, uh, a Twitter handle or a Facebook place people should also look? Yeah, I've, I've got a, I've got a Twitter handle, uh, minimalist woodworker, um, same with Facebook and, uh, and Instagram. Um, and, uh, and then they can, there's also, uh, you can, my email address is on my website. So, and I'll be posting, you know, I, I post the odd picture here and there of, you know, how things are going with the book and, you know, things like that, little teasers here and there. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, you're de- definitely worth following. And you also, frankly, you just have decent conversation on the different, uh, the different online channels. Oh, well, thanks for saying that. Yeah. Oh, no problem. So you want to uh, you want to start this off with, in Tom's absence, Chris? Sure. Uh, since Tom's not here, I'll um, I'll do his portion of it. So um, you know, again, that uh, kind of gets everything wrapped up. So um, we appreciate it again, Vic, and that kind of wraps up this show. So if you are missing us already, you can subscribe to uh, the show in iTunes. Uh, just search for Modern Woodworkers Association, and once you've subscribed, uh, you'll never miss another exciting episode. And once you're in there, make sure that you give us a five-star rating because that helps our rankings and hopefully allows uh, someone else to listen to the podcast. If you want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com, follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national, 
like the MWA on Facebook, or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. While you're there, join the MWA Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. All right, so until next time, I'm Chris Adkins of High Rock Woodworking, or you can find me on Twitter at HighRockWW and all those other internet places. And I'm Mike Ligenfelter of the TheInquisitiveWoodworker.com, and I'm on Twitter at UserOfWood. So until next time, we wish you happy sawdust, and Tom is our resident shop monkey. <laughs>